When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Seb. And my name's David. Welcome, chaps. We've uh, had a game week nine, haven't we? Tough week for some, elation for others. And we've got the best of both worlds on this week's Scout cast. Our very own Rough with the Smooth amongst us. Um, naming no names. <clears throat> we'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, but yeah, scheduled for tonight, we're going to look at some uh, our own teams. We're going to have a look at over and under performance and how that can uh, be useful in seeing how we can predict our transfers. We'll have a look at Salah. Is he a perma-captain shout from now on? We'll have a look at some City mids, that rotation risk. Is it worth getting on board with the City stuff? Um, what else have we got? Basically, loads of stats to get stuck into. Uh, and who better to to talk it through than, than none, none other than the prodigal son, Mr. David Monday, back from uh, the non-FPL world. How is it going, Dave? How, how, we've missed you. Oh, oh, thanks, man. Well, yeah, it's been quite nice, actually, to be missed by a few people. There's a couple of people already in the chat saying it's good to have me back. Well, that's nice. So, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, yeah, it's really nice, actually, to have been away, though. Um, not that there's, you know, any, anyone, any reason why, um, you know, I would want to be away. I just, uh, I've obviously changed jobs. Um, I'm kind of in a bit of a new sort of, like, family situation now where my kids are a little bit older. So there is school. And so the only time of the week I really get to see him is weekends. And of course, when you work FPL as a, as a job, it's just like, mm, would you rather be sat there at three o'clock on a Saturday whilst you've taken a minus four and Kai Havertz has not scored any points, basically, in a game where Chelsea scored seven goals? Would you rather that was your job? <laughs> or would you rather spend some time with your kids? And actually, I'd like to think, I'd like to think most people would pick the latter. So, yeah, it's it's been a really good time for me um, just to kind of, yeah, um, kind of learn to enjoy FPL for what it is um, a little bit more because it's something that's, it's, it was always difficult, I think, for people to kind of quite understand where I was coming from. But certainly you guys will know as content creators as well. Um, when it is your, you know, your, your job or something that you do, um, you know, as a, as a kind of vocation, I, I could say, it does sort of, it's not quite as much of a hobby as it was before. So I've been able to get back into this situation where I can sort of play FPL on my own terms um, and uh, it means that the the fun weeks, I can enjoy them as much as I did before. And the bad weeks, they don't affect me quite as much as they did before, which, well, uh, bodes quite well for, I guess, what we're going to talk about first. I Sounds think. good. <laughs> I mean, it's good that you had the London Lundstrom shirt still up on your wall. Oh, you better not, better not take it down. down. <laughs> I'm still, I've still got Jimenez as well. I should probably... Um, they're still there. They, they haven't come down since I left the job, so don't worry. Don't that's, that's, that's how out of touch he is now. He's still, still got Lundstrom. <laughs> <laughs> so we're also joined by daddy call himself mr seb uh, taking some time away from fpl presumably with the sleepless nights but they seem to be working for you mate how are you yeah all, all my transfers happen at about 3am now in fact all <laughs> of my everything happens at 3am we were saying before the show we were asking how old uh five weeks yesterday now but i i didn't know what day it was you know we're doing a skycast <laughs> on a tuesday so it's a tuesday good time fpl but, deadlines uh, must be tough to to remember though i've made a lot of, yeah i mean the, the very first week i did miss the deadline but it was one of those i'd set my team up so it was fine uh and then yeah since then i've just been making transfers when they make sense without trying to pay too much i say too much attention a lot of them have been price changes but i have the wild card in the back pocket so i know i can kind of save myself but i've missed uh i mean i think this probably worked out for me but i wanted to do fernandez to de bruyne a couple of weeks ago 
and was sat there most of the day looking at it. And then next I knew it was about half three in the morning and the price had changed and I couldn't afford it anymore. And then that weekend, De Bruyne scored. Um, so I did Foden instead. Foden also, I think he got an assist, was it? Um, and obviously now that has definitely worked out for me. So that's fortunate. But at the time I was like, oh, I've, I've cost myself the move I wanted to make there. Wonderful news. Plenty of people <laughs> asking about Joe in the chat. Um, he's absolutely okay. He's just having a well-earned holiday. So I'm stepping into his shoes just for a one week only basis. So put up with me, will you? <laughs> and and he, he did well as well. I just want to, anyone thinks he, did he's he? not here because he didn't do well. I think he got somewhere 90, 100 points, something like that. He'd had a good week. He captain Salah, of course. Great stuff. Well, have, let's have a look at our teams. Um, I'm going to start with you, Seb. Top of the pile this week of 113 points. What, what a score that is. You kept Lukaku. Talk us through it. Yeah, I mean, I'd already made my transfer, which is Ben Rama to Mbumo. So that actually cost me two points. Um, and so I didn't want to take a minus four to replace Lukaku with, well, whoever. The reason being because Livermento would have come off my bench, which he did, and got a probably, I say fortunate goal, not in itself, but I don't know if anyone would have predicted him to score like this week precisely, especially after he didn't give clean sheet. But I was happy to play Livermento rather than, say, gambling on a Vardy, a Kane, whoever it would have been. And deal with Lukaku this this week instead. Have you kept Lukaku? Is he has he gone from your team? He's gone now. He's he's moved Ooh. on to someone else ahead of price changes. Interesting. Spoiler alert. We'll come to that at the end of the stream. But yeah, the four four two, presumably an auto sub for Lukaku, right? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. I actually did start him just in case because we had. Was it Tuchel who I don't want to say lied, but before mentioned the player was injured and then they started. So it was one of those like, look, if, if just for any reason he starts, I'll have him. I won't captain Moran and think. And Livermento will just come off my bench. So I, I think uh, Mourinho was pretty bad for that with with Son last season. I think so. Oh, was it? Yeah, it might have been. Might have been Son. It might have been that, but it might have been too cool as well. But yeah, Bowden's eighteen points. That's astounding. I mean, um, Mason Mount was the other one, wasn't it? We'll come to that in my in my team. I was very happy with that. Um, what's your thoughts on Antonio? Are you, are you happy? You're a happy owner, or is he with his tough run of fixtures upcoming? Are you looking to get rid? If I was wildcarding, I probably wouldn't have him anymore. But seeing as I'm not, I'm very happy to have him. I don't think he's become that bad that I need to spend a transfer to get rid of him. And also it occurred to me earlier, if I do lose him, I've had him since the start. Getting him back might go and cost me 0.3, 0.4 more. So I'm in no rush to maybe cause myself a headache in only a few weeks when I might want him back. Interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to see who you've changed Lukaku for. He must have plenty of money in the bank. Let's move on to uh, my team. Narrowly, narrowly missing top spot this week, but I did take a hit as well. So that 111 points is really 107, really, but very happy with that. Uh, Livramento was a last minute change from Tomato in, uh, in the first sub. So pretty happy with that result. Um, normally in these 50-50 situations, I make the, the wrong move. But this when, when Burnley scored, I was so annoyed. I have to say I was so annoyed. And I go, oh, here we go. Another 50-50 decision against me. But then he scored. Livermore scored. I was up in up absolutely so buzzing. But the rest of the team, I could not expect anything more from Mason Mount. I would have just been happy if he got an assist. Uh, honestly, so unexpected. <laughs> so uh, 24 points. Absolutely incredible. Um, De Bruyne, I brought in De Bruyne and Tony for a hit and that was in retrospect a terrible move because it lost me points but I think going forwards it sets me up well for the next few weeks so pretty pretty happy with that team um, Rafinha is a doubt for Norwich which is such a pain I think maybe do we all have Rafinha I think most of the community does fingers crossed that he can um, he can make it back because 
he's going to be a great asset, even maybe captainable. I know we're going to talk about Salah captain, um, perma captain, but Rafinha at Norwich, maybe with a fully fit lead side, he could he could come into the conversation. Uh, but let, let's leave it there for my team. And David, finally come to you. Um, we have to. <laughs> we, we have to, mate. We have to. <laughs> no, it's, no, I know, I know. It's, it's a poor week, but I'm yeah. sure that you've had... Um, plenty of decent winks before this. This is the problem, isn't it? That we're, all yeah. of our teams are set up differently. We're going to have good, bad, good and bad game weeks at different times. So let's talk talk us through it, buddy. Oh man, yeah, it's it's so annoying because I picked one hell of a week to come back on the Scoutcast. I was for so much time away. Like, hey guys, I'm back and definitely worth listening to. I'm 646k rank with a massive red arrow this week. Um, so yeah, um, and it's really annoying because had I come on last week, I would have looked um, considerably more smug. Because for the last sort of five or six game weeks, I've been I've been clawing back 20 or 30 um, K in green arrows like every week and had got to about 150 K still hadn't used my wild card. I was rolling transfers. Like I was playing like a really slow and patient approach that was really paying off. Um, So yeah, it's about 150 K then. And uh, so I thought, okay, I've been banking these free transfers for ages. So I'm finally going to use them in a week where I could do it with a little bit of surgery. Um, And it just completely blew up in my face. So um, I probably could have not taken a hit to get Havertz, if I but I would have had to have sold Sar, so I feel a bit silly because effectively uh, I've taken a, a hit not to get Havertz. I've taken a hit to get Havertz without having to get rid of Sar because what I did was take a hit to get him through Gallagher because uh, it was either Gallagher or Sar who I'd get rid of. And just looking at their numbers, um, it was clear that Sar was still the slightly greater attacking threat, slightly better fixtures, slightly more advanced position because Gallagher his stats were really really good in the first four or five weeks, but then. Um, it's become obvious in the last four or five that he's playing a slightly deeper role now that Vieira kind of has a better idea of what that team looks like with the new signings um, uh, now in the team more. So he was the most obvious one to get rid of, but it did mean a hit because I was doing Ronaldo to Vardy, uh, so then Gallagher to Havertz. And so then I did uh, Semedo, who's just been useless. uh, Agreed, definitely agreed. (laughs) (laughs) To Pinnock. And... um, the reason why it looks stupid now is because I took a hit to put a Brentford defender on my bench, but that was uh, kind of a long-term hit in the sense that Brentford's fixtures are looking nice. And I just kind of want to get it out of the way now in a week where I felt like my team would score highly enough to win back those points. And of course they didn't. And now two of the three people I signed are yellow flagged in Vardy and Pinnock. Um, You know, Havertz obviously got nothing. I didn't captain Salah because um, I mean, I have no idea why, to be honest. I mean, we all, I, I suppose we all saw the United game coming, but I just, I've seen too many Man United Liverpool games at Old Trafford that end nil nil, and I just didn't I didn't want to go for it. And, and Vardy's form had been really nice. It, his, it, statistically, he had been in similar form to to Salah, and on paper had an easier fixture. And even though I and I, I don't feel like I've been guilty of thinking that Brentford are a pushover because that wasn't really what I was thinking. But I think in the four matches prior to this most recent game, they'd conceded nine big chances in that period, and it was kind of like in the bottom six or seven. So I felt like they were definitely they they could they could concede and Vardy was in strong enough form, so I went with him for the captaincy. And I feel it, it's annoying because so much variance like went against me. Um, so I had Saar and Havertz, and they they took part in games where basically their teams combined for twelve goals, <laughs> and I got nothing. I mean, how has that happened? And but at the same time, people had Dennis, they had King, people had Mount. Um, you know, Foden, I haven't really trusted the Man City midfield all season. So a lot of those, they're not really 50-50 decisions, just a lot of players I don't own, just completely banged in such a humongous way. Then I had a hit in there as well. And it was just, yeah, it's curtains really. So it's so, so like I said, so frustrating because the season had been going quite strongly. I've still I, got my wild card to fall back on. 
Um, but the handy thing is, it kind of going back to what I said earlier, now that I don't do this for a job anymore, I was very detached on Saturday. Um, I normally am anyway, but I was even more so this Saturday because it was my dad's wedding. So I was, I didn't really, I couldn't even just like go and look at the scores if I wanted to. I kind of absorbed all of it uh, about sort of like 7 or 8 p.m. But by that point, I'd had several Proseccos and a couple of rum. So I was like, <laughs> eh, you know, it's kind of easier to shrug it off. Like it, it can be, it can be easy sometimes to succumb to like real emotional dread when these game weeks happen. But um yeah, I'm thankfully in a position where I can kind of shrug a little bit more these days and be like, well, you know, it's just a game. So then I won't let that make me have a knee jerk reaction, either emotionally or tactically. And I'll just I'll look at this again on Thursday, Friday. So, yeah, I think um, I think a lot of other managers in the community will be in the same position, having a, a bad game week. And I think, you know, we're, we're, we're sometimes going to have bad game weeks in the season, um, especially if, you, if you've been watching the, the games um throughout the weekend unlike you, you managed to avoid it this weekend david but if you've been watching it and you have a bad game week i don't know about you guys but i definitely get in a mood and it affects my 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 mood with my partner with my family and and it definitely gets me down and it's nothing really can cheer you up until you can move on to that next game week shrug it off uh, make your transfers and lo and behold you have a better game week next week it is not as bad as it, as it may seem right now so I think we all have good weeks. We all have bad weeks. I don't think you can beat yourself up, mate, because honestly, I think we need situational luck sometimes. I definitely was going to captain Lukaku this week if he was fit. I think many Seb. other managers would have. Yeah, Seb, you said exactly and, the same. And I maintain that like, if, if we were presented with those same fixtures next weekend, I'd captain Lukaku again. Yeah, I mean, who knows? He might have gone on and score a hat-trick, but regardless, we would have missed out on, on Salah's haul. And um, I think people who would have gone Salah in the first place might be a little bit upset that that was just the way the cookie crumbled. So if you're having a bad game week out there, never fear. We all have them. You'll bounce back next week. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's it's tough because I think often you'll see like, oh, don't worry, it's just a game or, you know, well, just don't worry about it too much. Don't focus on it which is impossible, you know, everyone knows when you're inside your own head on something like that, someone just going, well, don't worry about it. You're like, oh, thanks, I hadn't thought of that. Brilliant, cheers, move on. <laughs> Realistically, it, it is going to suck. You know, we're emotionally attached to this game. A lot of people, myself included, especially before having a baby, sometimes it was the thing I wanted to do with my Saturday. You know, it it was my Saturday. So if that goes badly, of course it's going to affect you. And that's absolutely fine. You know, take a little bit of time. Maybe, hopefully, we can find ways to deal with it a bit better Something that helps me or did help me in the past was for three o'clock on Saturdays, because nothing's on TV anyway, I'd go to the gym just so that I'm doing something else. You know, I flick through the scores on my phone, absolutely, but hopefully I'm trying to focus on something else. Now, of course, I've just said there's no advice that'll necessarily help. So I'm not saying that'll work for someone else, but I think it's a case of just being okay with it in yourself. And in terms of like, yeah, if it is going to ruin your Saturday, you don't have to fight that. Yeah, it sucks. And that's absolutely fine. And hopefully, as you said, Next week can be better and we can pick up and move on a little bit with it. Well, let's have a look at some scores from the game week. You've got some rough with some smooths with us, Seb. Let's have a look at some of the community members. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So would you like rough or smooth first? Oh, David, what about you? You can choose, mate. Rough or smooth first? Um, let's go smooth smooth first. So that... <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> lot of deliberation on smooth that. Smooth choice. Yeah. So we've got one smooth and three rough. So, I, I, I uh... want to know what's going to be most most emotionally positive for me. Like, do, do I really want to hear about the positive stuff first? Not really. No, I want to hear. I want. Sorry, I don't want to hear that last. I want to hear that first. So now I can hear sure. the, the roughs and I can leave the section knowing I wasn't alone. Sure. 
So, okay, the smooth, I plucked this from my work lead, actually, um, someone called Simon, who um, I liked it because he had Salah, Havertz, and Mount. He actually captained Havertz, which sounds like a bit of a rough, but he came out with 105 points. He's got Alexander-Arnold, he's got James, Salah, and Mount, as I mentioned, even Gray for a little assist, and it jumped him up something like 10 odd places in the league a massive score and the reason i wanted to get as a smooth because all the real smooths this week are fine i captain salah or i i brought in mount and captained him but he didn't captain one of those players and still did really well because of the rest of his team which obviously is kind of maybe the other end of what you experienced david which i think shows that there are so many decisions that go into this and so many that are so close and like you said you know just all of them didn't go your way whereas in this case the big one didn't go his way but the rest of them did Love it. Most of the rest of the team must have been absolutely banging. Love it. Any any other smooths or we're gonna move straight onto the roughs? I mean, all the other smooths are the same same thing you'll see. You know, people brought in Mount rather than Havertz or Captaining Salah because Lukaku was out, things like that. And I think we all know what those are this week. So uh, yeah. maybe some therapeutic roughs. There we go. Come on then, David, some therapeutic roughs. So we've got uh GAU who says an epic disaster, 31 points, Havertz captain, KDB, Saar. Ronaldo, Rafina, Vardy, similar to David there a little bit, all blanking, and Azplaqueta and Christensen no-shows as well. It dropped him from 900k to 2.4 million. Oh my god. Real me. tough. If anything, oh. I would say that just shows that if you can go from 900k to 2.4 million, you can go from 2.4 to 900 as well. Love that positivity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Delu Fail, who had a very, very appropriate name here. Um, so he did have a smooth in, he sold Shaw for James, but the rough. He says, I took a minus eight to sell Lukaku and Odegaard for Edouard and Havertz captain, which allowed him to bench Smith Rowe, 13 points, and Alexander-Arnold for 10 points. Vardy was then injured before the game, but still limped to the one point. If he hadn't have played, those Smith Rowe points would have come in. And if he didn't make those deadline day moves that I've just mentioned, he would have captained James or Foden. He would have had uh, vice-captain Vardy, so no problem there. The two needless transfers, that mean, cost him 28 points, excluding the captaincy, or about 40 points with the captain. And then all of that, and he doesn't own Salah either. Oh, my goodness, mate. Such intuitive moves, though, so he really can't beat himself up. Yeah, I mean, the Havertz one made sense, right? Yeah. Like, it was a pretty sensible move. It just came off very, very badly this week. Yeah, I mean, I think objectively people can count them pretty count themselves pretty unlucky that in a Chelsea team that beat Norwich seven nil, their their striker yeah. at the time didn't didn't score anything, which is. I mean, yeah, if you want to be unreasonably simple about it, Liverpool yeah. beat Man United five nil, Chelsea beat Norwich seven nil. Chelsea yeah. had the better fixture and better result. You'd rather have a player from that team, in theory. <laughs> in theory, indeed. <laughs> well, let's have let's move on and have a look at um, some of the key performers from game week nine. And we've got Benteke topping that list with a free-flowing Palace side. Um, does he enter your thoughts at all? I mean, we've got Foden up there, which is obviously fairly obvious for the community with lots of people bringing him in. We've got Mount, Salah, obviously the hat-trick heroes. Uh, Aubameyang's there. Does he enter our thoughts at all? Uh, David, what about you? Let's hear from you. Yeah, I think what's really annoying right now is we've got a lot of strikers that I just don't trust, uh, that have good stats and possibly all right-ish fixtures. Um, I, I really, I really hate it when we have this sort of situation. Like Benteke, I think I, I looked to have him. Was it towards the end of last season? I never went from him from in the end. Um, I can't, I can't, tr- I can't trust Josh King. And, and and the thing is, what what people will remember about me is I can't, I can't stand a Bamiang as a fantasy asset either because he's just the, the type of player that I 
I never know what I'm going to get from him. He, I, I, people will know that I like to, to, to go for people, especially the expensive ones, players that shoot a lot and then have a lot of big chances and a lot of shots on target. Like they're my big three stats when it comes to goal threat. And he tends to, it's quite rare that he actually exceeds very well on that. He's mostly been the kind of guy that will shoot less often, has a good accuracy rate, but not necessarily a good goal conversion rate. And it's just, it's, his stats are just too anemic for me to be too excited by. Um, and then, of course, at that kind of price, you know, are you going to captain him? No. So why bother? And it's Arsenal. It's just, I just, oh, I, I really hate it at points of the season when it's players like this that are in this particular um, part of some of these tables because I just go, well, I'm not signing you. I've just got no trust in you. And then all the people I would normally trust if they're not doing so well on the stats either. I'm like, well, who do? It's why I don't really want a wild card right now because I'm not seeing surefire people populating this table as much as I'd like them to. So. Absolutely. Yeah, Aubameyang seems to be like a decent asset in his, in his own right, but Arsenal don't seem to be setting the world light over the course of the season with the number of goals they score, which will definitely limit him uh, over the course of the season. So I kind of agree with that, to be honest. And especially, um, I mean, interestingly, there's a lot of premiums failing to fire at the moment, other than Mo Salah. So, I mean, it does sort of beg the question, is Aubameyang, this is his one opportunity to get in, get in our teams ahead of those other premiums. But... 10 million is quite a lot uh, to pay for an Arsenal striker. Um, Seb, what do you think about uh, like Josh King? I mean, a hat-trick against Everton. Um, does he have much potential under Ranieri? I mean, shall I just say yes and then forget about it if it never happens? But realistic, <laughs> realistically, no. Yes, he's got a hat-trick. Um, Mount's got a hat-trick this week. Salah's got a hat-trick. I know which order I could have predicted those in and King would not have been top of that list. I think it's the perfect example of the real discussion, which is, you know, Salah Havertz of, it's not even form versus fixtures. It's just sure. Sometimes a player is going to turn up and do something that either no one saw coming or one person saw coming because they just randomly named a player. We shouldn't overreact to that. If he does it a few more times or if he shows the stats that he could produce again, sure, let's have a look. But I really don't think he needs to make it into what is effectively our top 15 players. That's what we're trying to pick every week. I don't think he's in anyone's top 15. Yeah, we have to think about the team ability as well. And Watford haven't exactly been high up on the XG rankings um, other than this game in isolation. So as you say, Seb, if they can repeat it uh, regularly, then definitely he becomes someone to consider. Uh, but over Saar that David has in his team? Possibly not. So um, yeah, Ben Teke is an interesting one though, but he's a he's a serial underperformer. So uh, we'll get to underperformance later on, but um, let's move on. And um, talk about, yeah, over and under performance. This is game week nine. And uh, lo and behold, we have Benteke in the underachievers section at the top. Um, Cornet, top of the overachievement, um, which is surprising because Mason Mount would have been my pick. Um, what what bearing do you put on over and underachievement, um, David, in in um, helping you, in aiding you to make transfers? Does it? Does it enter your mind at all? Uh, it does sometimes. Um, not always, though. It depends who the player is, and it depends on their underperformance, overperformance history. Um, so I think that you, uh, I mean, with any stat, really, you obviously would read more into this sort of stat over a two-year period than, say, a two-week period. Um, and But but this so more than others, because, um, you know, a bad player, or like a, a, like, a like not maybe that's the wrong expression, but like a, a player you wouldn't normally trust can sometimes have periods where they're just, incredible in terms of how often they're shooting creating passes uh creating, creating uh, um big chances and key passes and things like that i mean gundawan i think is a, is a classic example like we saw 
that his stats, just from a raw perspective, all of a sudden were incredible. And for a couple of weeks, and we think, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go sign that guy. And of course, that worked out. Um, performance over a four or five year period that shows you that over a very long period, he always underperforms against his XG. So no matter how often you see him go through periods of, oh, he's shooting quite a lot now. Well, there's quite a lot of big chances and there's lots of shots on target. You go, well, yeah, but over four or five years, he's just won't live up to it. Um, David McGoldrick pretty much just, I mean, he just set up a, a mortgage on this table. Um, <laughs> you know, he was constantly, constantly presented with these chances and he can put them away. On the flip side, someone like Kevin De Bruyne always overperforms against his XG because he he sort of deals in the spectacular. You know, his XA, for example, is always going to be really, uh, is going to be a lot lower than some of the players that are going to be creating chances around the six-yard box because, of course, those types of players are creating the bigger chances. But KDB can get an assist from the halfway line with an outside-of-the-boot pass that looks like a quarterback throw from Tom Brady and it will still end up as a goal and the XA was 0.02. Um, and we've, and you'll, you'll see over an extended period that he will overperform. So someone like him, XG overperformance or XA or XGI overperformance, you, know, you, you kind of use that to go, well, actually, I don't need to worry that he's overperforming against it right now. So when we look at some of the players on that chart at the moment, like um, Mount is kind of tricky because... I still feel like he's not been around long enough for us to say, is he an over or an under performer? Uh, Courtney, obviously, we, you know, who knows, still he's got a new new person. Salah, obviously, we know he can overperform against his XG and it's not going to be a problem because he can score spectacular goals. He can create passes out of nothing. Um, so, yeah, um, that, that's kind of how I apply that stat to, to people. It's, it's, it's a good tester of how reliable their raw stats are, but really... Um, it's it's a more useful way of doing that if you think about it over a two or three year period of what type of player is this player when presented with big chances basically yeah, exactly uh, I completely agree with that it's um the overperformance is is definitely tied towards player ability because when we think about expected goals or expected assists that is basically an average player having a, a shot in a certain position and the probability of that average player scoring that goal so if someone like Salah or KDB is technically much more proficient than that average player, then they're, of course, going to overperform uh, long-term. And what that's what you're alluding to, that long-term tendency. Nathan Redmond tends to underperform because he tends to miss more of those opportunities than maybe the average player. These uh, charts we've got up on the screen are just from game week nine. So it just shows that Mount and Salah have obviously had really good uh, game weeks. Like Tielemans shoots from far out. A hell of a strike on him. Uh, same with Chilwell. Um, they've been converting well, but um, it's it's an interesting one. Benteke, with his long-term tendency of underperforming, does limit that. Um, he he may be good for, for XG in the last few game weeks, but um, that underperforming long-term tendency does, does sort of limit him as an FPL option. So uh, I completely agree. Let's talk about over and underperformance over the course of the season. And we'll come to you, uh, Seb, straight away. Um, we've got her Triore, <laughs> unsurprisingly. I knew there was someone else I couldn't think of. And I was yeah. like, actually, it's <laughs> him. There's, of a, course there's, a good, there's a good thing on Traore, though, where if you reduce this table to only the last six weeks, which obviously, caveats we've just mentioned, lesser time means probably less accuracy, Traore drops off this entirely. He's had something like 0.5 XGI in the last six weeks. This all comes from that early season form, if you like, and he didn't convert. And now he is no longer putting up the stats to have the opportunity to you know, perform to the level that this table maybe says he could. 
Whereas then compared to someone like Mbumu, who firstly does have better just raw data there, has actually scored a few goals, and in the last six weeks has something like three of his XGI or something like that. So I know a few people have asked about the comparison between those two, and Andy, uh, who's normally with us, uh, did ask about that last week. And I think, yeah, I think his answer was something like narrative. It's certainly a part of that. But I do think as well, someone like Mbumu is keeping it up and does actually have greater raw data to start with than Traore, who, if we're looking at how it's going right now, is just entirely off this table. Yeah, it's interesting. Traore, uh, I think that was the, the trend last season with Traore. He wasn't putting up the stats that made him underperform as much. And as you say, he was just a demon at the start of this season in terms of the shooting, in terms of the chances that he created, but nothing was going well for Wolves. They have I, he, turned that around since then, though. He had an opportunity and he missed it effectively and he's no longer getting the opportunities. I mean, yeah. when David yeah. was talking a moment ago, and I thought he put it very nicely, a terrible analogy that kind of came to mind is if these numbers, you know, your XG numbers are, say, an architect being provided with the raw materials to create a building, you could be given the best building materials, the biggest budget in the world. But if I'm the architect, you aren't building a good building. <laughs> if you give a brilliant architect terrible materials, they'll still come out with something better. So I think there's, there's two factors to this. It's the opportunity, which is those raw materials or the XG, and then the ability to actually turn that opportunity into outcome, which is, say, someone like Salah scoring and Redmond not. Exactly. And Salah's massively overperforming. Does that does that particularly matter to any of you? I think you just... I mean, I think like we know he is intuitively because we're all going, oh my goodness, he's the best player in the world. He's playing brilliantly. Well, shouldn't the best player in the world be overperforming? Isn't that the definition of the best player in the world? So Absolutely. you could look at it and say he's going to regress. Maybe he will, but his underlying numbers are also some of the best in the world. So even if he regresses, he's still going to be great. Exactly. And there's no doubt that Liverpool will go through a rough patch. They, they, they can't sustain this level of eliteness throughout the course of the season. They're, every single team's going to go through a rough rough month or something like that. Um, so, yeah, he might suffer, but it just probably means he'll score, you know, one goal instead of three goals or whatever. So thinking about it with devil's advocate. But, yeah, I, I don't I'm not worried about Salah even. I mean, his stats are just poles apart from the rest of the rest of the field but um yeah i'll just bring it back to mbumo you mentioned him seb i, I think he's been fairly unlucky i think the, the one of the interesting stats is he's hit the woodwork six times yeah. over the last four or five game weeks which is just massively more than the next player on one going for jj Koch's record yeah exactly so um a lot of the stats uh in the shots maps and all this sort of stuff have his shots off target heavily heavily skewed um, but it means that he's just been hitting the woodwork, which is which is sad. But I'm sure he will start converting. But obviously, I, we hope that he's fit enough for the next three games. Uh, Brentford have a good run of games uh, coming up. But um, David, anyone else on that chart, any on that table that stick out for you as someone to avoid, like a warning flag or or ones not to worry about their overperformance? I mean, Decore is there, but he's injured. I mean... Hogba, he's not going to get in the team. Dennis doesn't really get in the team. Your man Vardy's up there, but he's a serial overperformer, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not too worried about him in terms of the stats that he's posting. What I'm more worried about is injury. <laughs> I really hope he's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, in terms of some of the other ones that are in there, like um, Kovacic is someone who um, I think uh, he might even be. It may have changed now because of Mount. It's possible that Kovacic is the top was the top scoring Chelsea midfielder before this most recent game. It may still be. Um, and I briefly, because I knew I needed to get a Chelsea uh, attacker for for, the, for this game week, I went with Havertz. 
But one of the reasons why I didn't go Kovacic was, yeah, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of overperformance there. And I mean, with the best of respect to, to Kovacic, he's not the kind of player who we're thinking, oh, serial overperformer he is. He's quality. So, yeah, um, probably one just to ward anyone off trying to get in on a 5.3 million uh, Chelsea midfielder. I don't know. I mean, he'll probably go and bang next week now. But um, I think that this this is exactly where that stat is really helpful, is when you've got someone who's like kind of got a value player, probably quite attractive to um, the more casual managers because he's cheap and he's to, uh, you know near the top end of a particular team that's doing well. This, this think... is where you go to find out maybe just he's not going to be useful long-term. Sorry, David. I was going to say, I think... The two important things to note on these tables is that it tells you two pieces of information and it can't tell the difference between them. One is how good a player is and the other is how lucky a player is. And it cannot tell the difference. That is our job. It is our job to go, Salah is good, Ducore is lucky. Not saying that's the case, but that may be your assessment. That's where being the FPL manager comes in rather than just putting these numbers into a machine and it would win FPL. That's hopefully where we can make the difference. Maybe a machine will one day but our job at the moment is to, to notice that and try and apply our, our quality filter to it. The other thing to call out on here, I think, is when we then can make that assessment, it's trying to get ahead of the curve. So someone like Mason Mount was on the underperformers last week. When we looked at this, he was there. Now, that doesn't mean he was due a hat-trick and an assist or anything like that, of course. He's massively overperformed his underperformance there. We saw him on the overperformers for this week. But everyone who scores a hat-trick overperforms, of course they do. That's kind of the definition of scoring a hat-trick. But if you can spot that next player, and I guess I'm going to say Mbumo, maybe Gundogan if you fancy a different City player, those are the ones to call out and try and maybe just get in there before everyone else sees them because they scored a hat-trick. So I personally think that this over-underperformance thing is much more useful when considering teams rather than specific players. And Brentford are one of the teams at the moment who have been underperforming in the last six game weeks. And it's we've definitely seen a lot of evidence that if the team has underperformed in the last six, they will typically overperform in the next six. So that's good for Brentford owners. It's a similar story for West Ham and Leeds. Uh, Leeds have a good fixtures coming up. So... West Ham are an interesting one because they've got bad fixtures coming up. So I still probably wouldn't go there. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking of even selling Antonio. So, uh, But bringing it back to the over-under performance on players, when we're thinking about it in players, they have individual distractions. They have individual confidence issues. They have whether that's going to be whether they're struggling with it inherently or if they're scoring the goals like salaries. Their, their confidence is going to be sky high, their personal confidence, and that's going to drive them on to score more goals in the next coming weeks. But again, this is very uh, fickle. It can go away just in a, in a fleeting moment, which is why I think the team over and under performance is slightly more reliable because you have that critical mass. You have more players to think about. So speaking of Salah, we have a, a talking point here now on um, is, is Mo Salah now a perma-captain option? And I mean, it's, it's difficult to argue with, isn't it? But does anyone have any contrasting views? David, let's start with you. Is, is it just not worth overthinking? Yeah, so it's quite funny because uh, I did uh, FPL surgery last night and they asked me, of course, you used to do the captaincy video uh, for scouts. So I'd be really interested to, to hear about some of the metrics you might use to determine your captain for the next game week. And I looked at some of the fixtures and thought, well, you know, I mean, Brighton, I mean, they're not a terrible team, you know, and their defence has been quite strong and we kind of all own uh, a collection of Brighton defenders in some cases for good reason. And when you consider that in this particular game week, you know, Leeds are playing Norwich, so if Rafinha's fit, you know, could be a decent shout. 
Um, you know, uh, we've got Chess playing Newcastle, and Newcastle defence has been quite poor. So again, you know, there will be people that will give it to Havertz again, but I'm sure Mount will get captained a lot this week um, for people who are bringing him in. Um, there's a there's a couple of fixtures from a couple of other teams that are actually quite nice. You know, Man City playing Crystal Palace, Southampton are playing Watford. So you know, um, if anyone's got any other cheap options there, you know, would you captain them? And in theory, there's a lot of players that you could captain and they could come off. But I'm still going to captain Salah <laughs> because I'm a coward. You know, the, the effect of ownership is just too scary to avoid. And I owned him. I had those 24 points, but it did. It actually killed my rank even more because I didn't captain him. And um, when you consider the fact that, so I mean, yeah, some of the defensive numbers for those some of those teams I've just mentioned, like they are quite poor, but they just don't really. They just don't really equate with the fact that Salah's own individual numbers, as you've kind of already alluded to, are just basically unstoppable at this point. He's top of the league for shots in the box last four. He's top of the league for big chances last four. He's top of the league for shots on targets last four. He's, um, his uh, minutes per expected goal environment is 77.1, which basically means he's, he's expected to have at least one goal per game. And bearing in mind he's overperforming, he will probably get more than that. Um, he's created, I think, is it yeah four big chances. So he's also top of the league for creating the best quality chance. So he's just, he's the best for assist potential. He's the best for goal threat. So, and if he's also going to be the most captain player, then even if it's Brighton, you just, in my opinion, at this stage of the season, you just have to. This stage of the season is when, and I'm really boring and, you know, I'm sure there'll be people saying, oh, you know, template this, template that. But this stage of the season for me is all about staying with the pack. And it's in game weeks like this, where I think you just kind of just need to go with that. And then you, and then you save those really bold decisions for our captain, you know, Brocco against Watford. Save that for game week 37, you know, don't do it in game week 10. Otherwise you just, you just create more of a, you protect, you open the door, you increase the chances that you've got a bigger mountain to climb uh, in the second half of the season. So there, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that there is a narrative, which I don't personally agree with, which is you, if you need to climb up the ranks, you go with someone more differential because he could propel you up the ranks much quicker than maybe captaining Mo Salah would. And this is the effective ownership argument, which I think is a little bit flawed. Seb, let's come to you. What do you think about the effective ownership with captain? Um, because I personally think that if you, if you removed captaincy from the game, I don't think it changes. Uh, I think it removes a lever for us to maybe climb some ranks in a level playing field, but you can easily climb the ranks with the rest of your team regardless of captain? I mean, I think there's a lot of arguments here that can be made in good faith and successfully in both directions. Effective ownership does matter. It is a thing. It's effectively a modifier on how good your outcome is. So if you know if you captain a really lowly owned player and they absolutely smash it, because FPL is a game of relativity, doesn't matter how many points you get, it matters how many more you get than everyone else, you will do better relatively. However, you have to actually identify the player that is going to allow that first, and so, obviously, what we normally go is, well, Salah's chance of, say, scoring a hat-trick is so much higher than everyone else's that I'm just going to go with him. And then if I get it wrong, well, it won't hurt as much. What you need is the week, for example, last week, where Lukaku, I believe, was a better captaincy option with all the information than Salah. We played that match 10 times over. I mean, you know, Chelsea's result was better than, than Liverpool's. If Lukaku had played, there's a chance he does well. I don't think he gets more than a hat-trick than an assist, but then that's because Salah had his brilliant week. If we played it 10 times, I think Lukaku has a greater chance of having the brilliant week than Salah. But then when you bring effective ownership into it, you go, well, if, say, for example, I think Lukaku will win that battle 60% of the time, but Salah is owned by 80% of people and captained by all of them, 
is a 60-40 split enough for me to take that risk? That's effectively what effective ownership is trying to do. It's risk management. But as I'm sure you can tell from me stumbling my way through that, we can massively overcomplicate it. Our brains like binary stuff. The problem is this isn't binary. You know, Salah is not the best or the worst or whatever captain. There's a percentage chance that he is the best or the worst every week. But we have to make a binary decision. And I think a lot of the time, especially early in the season, like you say, you just keep it real simple. Like we saw someone in the rough with the smooth go from 900k to 2.4 million. If you can make that move in one week, you don't need to do anything crazy just yet. You know, we've if, got 75% of the season left. I completely agree. I mean, if if one player is in imperious form and you're captaining someone else, you all you have to bet that that really really strong player has to blank, and you have to yeah, the, pick, them. the player you pick is has to do well as well. So it's like a double thing that you have to predict, rather than just the obvious pick you think is probably going to score every week. It's just not worth overthinking from my perspective. But it's about actually... the combination. It's about the combination of effective ownership and their form and the defence of the other team. It's kind of those three that all come together. Um, one example that I always use is when the, occasionally, occasionally, when the effective ownership king uh, isn't actually the best option. You can sometimes predict that. You can sometimes predict it. Not always, but you have to time it well. And the one that always sticks with me, and people are probably fed up of hearing about this, but it was just it was quite exciting for me when it happened. Was Kane against Cardiff mm. like three years ago? Um, when I it was my first season at Scout, I was very I was like the new kid on the Scout cast with Andy, Joe, and as kind of like why am I even allowed to be here? Um, and they were it's all really, going really gone downhill since then, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, that was yeah. Present company it didn't mean anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was it was a situation where they were all going with Kane, and I was just looking at the fact that, like, statistically himself, his form wasn't that great. You know, he wasn't shooting very often. He was dropping deeper. Cardiff, despite the fact that they looked quite poor defensively, their stats were showing that they they were sort of like mid table for things like big chances conceded. You know, effectively they weren't whipping boys. At the same time, Hazard's form was incredible. You know, he was shooting a lot. He was shooting in the box, big chances, shots on target, creating loads of chances too. It was that season where he was just everywhere goals and assists in abundance and he was playing Southampton who's def- they were bottom of the league for big chances conceded XG you know and but but everyone had got the cane blinkers on just but the, and the effective ownership took over but it was kind of founded on nothing it was founded on not good form and not bad defense for the who he was playing Hazard was but the difference with this week is that Salah as we've mentioned stats are incredible I'm just looking at Brighton over the last uh, four matches as well they've conceded eight big chances which is the bottom seven um, so you kind of feel like a guy who's in incredible form against a defence like that should get something. It's not quite the same as, like I said, an out-of-form game against the Cardiff team that was sort of, you know, uh, doing not as bad as that. Um, they're the game weeks to look out for if you're going to be brave enough to go against effective ownership. You have to have to test it properly with the stats, which is why the members area is so important. And yeah, I've not <laughs> forgotten that. I've not forgotten how to do that. <laughs> Love that. Something that just occurred to me as you were speaking then is effective ownership can become a self-fulfilling prophecy because a player that, say, based on the raw information ahead of us, so, you know, their chance of scoring a goal, the opposition's chance of conceding a goal, they might not actually be, say, the 60% best option. But if enough people go, he's the best captain, then people start getting the fear and going, oh, no, effective ownership, and it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. Maybe, as you said there, if you identify the week where the effective ownership is not based on sound logic, but is based on, say, fear or herd mentality, that's the opportunity to go against it because you do have some evidence backing it up. Yeah, that's when you bounce, definitely. Agreed. Excellent job. Well, I've got the stats up on the screen for the best performing players, and it's no surprise to see Salah at the top there. Uh, in fact, three Liverpool players in the top four with Antonio spoiling the party. 
Um, it does make selling Antonio quite difficult, but um, Mane and Jota, third and fourth. Um, someone who I've never owned this season, Jota. Um, have, have either of you owned Jota? I have no. not. No, interesting. I mean, I'm too boring for that. I, I really want to own him for some reason, but uh, this this road... I'd almost argue he's quite a boring pick in terms of he's just statistically great, and especially when Firmino was injured, I think he was a very sensible pick. I didn't do it myself because I had Simakas and couldn't get there. It's crazy. I, I mean, it's like punching above your weight or dating a model. It's like you never quite know if they're into you and they're not that reliable. You know, just stick with the girl next door. That's the way I go. You need them. You need them to start games. You, you just, you just prefer, <laughs> prefer the Vardy party. Prefer his moves. Yeah, exactly. You know he's going to turn up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy. Oh, there's some crazy names on this list. I mean, I can't believe Mason Mount is on there to be honest, because he's been pretty anonymous for the rest of the season. I mean, it was only game week nine that he um turned up. Really, I really like Mount. I swear he does this. When it reminds me of, I think I mentioned this last week, David Silva. When he could just tick along all season and no one would ever notice, and then he'd randomly have 180 points by the end. I think, I mean, I know we got a hat trick and all that, and he was very noisy last week, but he just quietly goes about it. I think he does typically maybe underperform a little. His underlying stats are often very good, and they often do come from come from the assists, which of course is fewer points in FPL. Um, so you know, if he's got the same XGI as someone else, it might not turn into the same number of points. But I really like him, and genuinely, and I promise I tweeted this before it happened, so there is evidence. I would have gone him over Havertz. I have neither. I went with neither. But I would have gone him over Havertz last week only because I think he's a better long-term option. I think Havertz was the better option last week. But if you were, say, taking a hit to bring Havertz in and then you're going to have to lose him again in three weeks, I think someone who you could just hold on to for a medium to long-term was maybe a slightly better play. Of course, the way it turned out, I wasn't going to say I'm predicting that sort of thing. Yeah, it's an interesting one because Mount, obviously, he's a really talented player, but last season really suffered from the lack of conversion from all of the chances created, uh, especially with with Werner, for example. So hopefully this season can be a slightly more uh, improved one for his teammates to convert his uh, chances created, and that would make him uh, a legitimate 7.5 option over the likes of Jota, who may be rotated more. Um Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes down there on the list. Um, obviously, Man United are suffering from, uh, well, morale issues, I suppose, after that loss to Liverpool. But um, maybe if they get a new manager, potentially, in the next... Uh, I mean, this is complete speculation, isn't it? But maybe they can come back. But neither of them seem to be pro- proving providing that much value at the moment. Um, there's a good fixture swing in about six game weeks' time for Man United options. Are either of you eyeing up Man United for that for that time? I will probably work hard then, and I reckon I will have double Man United, whether they have a new manager or not. Um, I like those fixtures an awful lot. Mm, yeah, it is a good. It just run. smacks of Ollie's redemption. Wait, hold on, like what fifth or sixth redemption yeah. arc um, yeah. for for that period of games? He's, you, he's a, you, can, you can see the narrative now. Either yeah. Ollie's still in the job and he's turned it around, or a new manager comes in and gets a new manager bounce, and it will have been either of those things. It will be because they have the best fixture run in memory. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and I mean, the sceptical among us will probably say, yeah, it's going to happen after six game weeks time for the reasons you've just suggested. So I think most of us w- will be on Man United. Hopefully they will have um, a decent run uh, making the most of those fixtures. Tony's next on that list. Someone we've, um, uh, I think, well, I'm actually spoiling there. So Seb's brought him in as well. I was going to wait until the end of the end of the show, but I brought Tony in uh, last week. I think he's an excellent option, uh, which is surprising because... 
sorry, not surprising. The fact that I was going to say it's surprising that his assist potential is so much better than his goal threat in terms of the big chances. Uh, I produced a chart yesterday, which was big chances created versus big chances. And he's miles better for big chances created, feeding and Bomo uh, in mainly. So, I mean, he needs to um, step it up and Bomo for Tony to get some assist points. But Tony seems to be incredibly clinical at the moment in terms of the um, his overperformance from the XG. A lot of disallowed goals as well. So I think he's been unlucky. But um, three good fixtures to target. And I think um, he's going to do well in these. What do you reckon, Seb? Uh, well, yeah, I've made that transfer. I've got Tony and Bumo. <laughs> uh, is it Burnley and Norwich next? And Newcastle. Are... That's right. Uh, and then New... It's Burnley Second. next, then Norwich, then Newcastle. So Which really nice fixtures. Exactly the fixtures that we would be like getting a Lukaku win for. In fact, we basically did. We'd be getting a, a Man United player in a few weeks, you know, a Salah. Brentford are up there. They're not as good as those teams. I think we've got a table that shows that. But they're firmly in the top half for their numbers so far. And they've had tough fixtures. It could go horribly wrong, but I think all of the evidence is there to swing it, to give us the best chance, as we mentioned earlier, of turning that into points. And so I'm very happy to double up on both of them. Good segue. I've moved on to the team um, the team table for the last uh, nine game weeks of the season. I think Brentford are, are definitely middling or top half of that table, um, which is, I mean, very decent from a, for a promoted side. But I mean... I'm tempted to double up with Mbomo, definitely if Rafinha's out. Obviously, we have to think that is going to be fit uh, for the upcoming game because he's still yellow flagged. I think both of them are Rafinha. So, fingers crossed. But I think those three fixtures, as we've just alluded to, are, I mean, three of the best you can possibly get. Uh, but going back to the table, Liverpool are absolutely killing it at the moment. 23.8 expected goals. Um 27, so they are overperforming a little bit, but 39 big chances is insane. Man City next best, West Ham, Chelsea. Um, definitely teams to target. We're definitely clear who the teams to own uh, attacking assets from. But does anything surprise you from this, David? Um, we've got Tottenham at the bottom there. Surely we expect more from Spurs. Well, I mean, in a way, I mean, I'm not too surprised because I feel like. Um... I, I like uh, Nuno, but he's basically Mourinho, but with manners. Um, <laughs> so it's, it doesn't shock me a massive amount. Um, and especially with the way that the um, the season kind of started for them with Kane, uh, that, that, that narrative I, probably didn't help them. Um, it, it, it annoys me a little bit because Spurs are kind of on my radar because their fixture list, uh, their fixture uh, swing, I should say, is quite nice. I think it's at game week uh, 12 or 13 uh, when things get really nice for them. I'm I'm sort of suspecting though that yeah, it's going to be tough. yeah, when they play Leeds and then they play Burnley and I think they play Norwich and then Newcastle as well. Um, so with but but their next two games, uh, I feel like we could see Spurs rise up this list a little bit because they're about to play Man United, who I feel like they could thrash, and they're about to play Everton. So like they've got Man United and Everton next, and they are two teams that both conceded five goals at home. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of hoping Spurs will climb that list. Although that said. Um, Obviously, we don't invest in teams in FPL. We obviously invest in players. And while Spurs XG is amazing, Kane's raw numbers have got me thinking a little bit. I'm a big fan of shots on target. Um, obviously, you have to filter that. You know, you don't just go like, oh, all those shots are on target. I'll have the guy. Because, I mean, Redmond gets a lot on target. They're just at the goalkeeper. Um, but but generally, it's just that I like. And only Foden and Salah have had more shots on target than Kane in the last four matches. And so then if he's got some nice fixtures that are kind of disguised nice fixtures. He's going to do well, I think, against United and against Everton, but he won't get invested in because people will look at the FDR and think, I'm not going to try it. 
Um, and then, uh, so then I wouldn't be surprised if he converts those shots on target into a goal in each of those games. And then by the Leeds game, he's he's like, oh, we've got to have him now. You know, you know, he'll become the he'll become the herd mentality transfer possibly. Um, yeah, it's not yeah. a bad not a bad shout. Sorry, Seb, I was just going to say it's not a bad shout to get on as Kane or Son now because their fixture run from game week twelve is 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 immense. So. Um... Yeah, absolutely. Five goals conceded against, sorry, Everton and Man United conceded five goals apiece. Why not get on them now? Seb? I'm just going to say, I will, I will take the other side of that, but only gently. I did <laughs> Lukaku to Tony rather than Lukaku to Kane, simply because I think Tony has the better two next, when Kane then has better fixtures in 12, which is when I actually want him. If he scores a hat-trip two now and then, fine. He always could have done. I just think it's less likely than Tony doing it. And I will then probably do, say, Jimenez to Kane in time for 12. It's all about timing. That's very, that's very sensible. Yeah, it's all about timing, and of course, their form has to match their fixtures as well. You know, they have to have some form for those fixtures to improve that form a little bit further. So, um, it's a balancing act at the end of the day, and hopefully, Spurs can improve slightly in order to justify inclusion for Son or Kane. I think quite a lot of attention might be directed towards them in the community. Um, let's move on to our next talking point, which is uh, Man City assets. And we've got Phil Foden fresh off an 18-point haul in game week nine, which, Seb, you've definitely benefited from. I'm very jealous of you owning Phil Foden because um, I would really love to bring him in. But as a De Bruyne owner, um, a gutted De Bruyne owner for him to be benched, I couldn't believe it. But what's your impression, Seb, about Man City assets in general? Um, is it worth balancing that rotation risk with the upside in their attacking form that they generally have? I mean, I think a couple is sensible. Jao Cancelo is a relatively easy pick. He'll definitely miss a fixture at some point. It'll probably be a really easy one in which they keep a clean sheet. But he looks not nailed, but as close to it as it can become in that in that back four alongside maybe Diaz. And he does provide attacking opportunities as well he was on our underperformance table and then I think I guess it's a job of picking a midfielder or an attacker I obviously went Foden a couple of weeks ago you've got De Bruyne if I could pick either of them right now I'd pick De Bruyne price you know price aside and I tried to pick De Bruyne two weeks ago I missed it because I was up late and I went Foden so I probably got fortunate there I think the thing that I'd love to impress on people here is that Foden Foden is a good pick bring him in this week if you want him but the Best time to bring him in was two weeks ago. And I know that's stupid because he scored a couple of goals, but he had two good fixtures. His price was slightly cheaper. He was owned by fewer people. That was the ideal opportunity to bring him in. Now, it's still a great opportunity, but I wonder if there's an even better one out there. For example, maybe it sounds silly comparing Mbumo with Man City players, but I think he has better fixtures. He's slightly lower owned. You can get Foden in, I think, is it 14 when their fixtures look really good again? there's another great opportunity to get him. So while while getting good players in our team is important, I think finding the right entry point is just as important. Do you know, that's weird because I would, if I was going to pick De Bruyne or Foden now, I would pick Foden, um, which is weird because maybe that's just bias from me owning a certain player and wish I had that I will other say player. That's, that's with price aside. Obviously, one yeah. of them is about four mil cheaper, so I completely understand that. But if they're all the same price, I think De Bruyne is the better option. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because hopefully De Bruyne is nailed. I mean, I mean, maybe he's just nursing back from that injury. But generally speaking, De Bruyne plays 90 minutes most games. But the interesting thing about Foden at this time is that Torres is injured and Jesus prefers to play on the right wing. So that the competition for that striker, that false nine spot that he's occupying is pretty minimal. And he's doing well. So I don't but see I, him. I guess that's exactly my point, that we had that information about two weeks ago. So yeah, sure. Like, absolutely get Foden. Please get Foden. He's a great option. 
love him. He's looking great. His stats are good. He's a nice price. But the ideal time to get him was two weeks ago. And there's maybe another good opportunity coming up in a couple of weeks when he has some really good fixtures again. Right now, you might just not get the best returns in the next couple of weeks and could maybe have maximized by getting someone else first. Maybe. So I, mean, I just want the points to myself. No, Stay away a, from my pick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really interesting argument because you could say that Man City potentially are fixture proof. So, David, do you think that, I mean, regardless of who they play, that Foden can definitely return in most of those matches? I mean, certainly, yes, if he's on the pitch, um, which obviously I think is still something that is always at the back of my mind with these kind of guys. I mean, it's the reason why he's still 8.1 million and not a 10 million midfielder, um, because he will always have really good points per game over a couple, like several years. But I, I still don't, I mean, I don't want to sit here and say I think he's like not nailed because I think he's as nailed as he's been for a little while. But I think, if we, I mean, just looking long term at how Pep tends to manage a lot of the midfielders that are priced this way. Although, of course, he doesn't do it because they're priced this way. Although, they're priced this way because he does it. Like, he, he, they will go through periods of like six to seven games where they play six out of seven, let's say, bang in four or five of those. And all of a sudden, it's like, right, is he the nailed on Man City to, guy to get now? And then they'll just go missing for four or five games. And because it's Mahrez's turn, or, you know, it's Bernardo's turn, or Torres's turn. And of course, they've got Grealish now as well. So, I'm, I, like I said, I'm not trying to ward people off Foden at all, but in terms of do I feel comfortable owning him? Like, not massively. Like, as not, not owning him right now, do I feel comfortable transferring him in? Not really, because sometimes when a Man City midfielder puts together five or six appearances like this, it's almost like, you know, the, the expiry date's coming. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, I've used this joke already this week. I'm sorry if anyone's heard it already, but I kind of think it's sometimes a bit like just buying bacon from the corner shop. Like, it's a, it's got a short shelf life. You know when when is the best time to get it? Like Seb said two weeks ago, right? Um, so I would I would always prefer KDB because I'm really boring. I've already alluded to it. I'd rather go, date the girl next door than the the model you can't trust. And the girl next door in this situation is Kevin De Bruyne. Um, and I mean I'm certainly looking at um, you know game week 15 is a good time for it because that's when I play Watford. Eight nils, six nils, seven nils. You've all seen it before. And then the fixtures after that are great. I'm more excited about owning a Man City player then because that's probably one our wild card so it would be easier for me to get kdb because right now i just can't get to him i want the foden supermodel that's what i want <laughs> i think i think there's an interesting point that comes from that as well which um people you know if there's any coaches or anything listening to this they will know better than me by all means but it isn't just a case that like you're saying there pep you know will rotate in in batches whereas other managers will do one every other match you know we, we try and guess two calls lineups as well like you say, Pep doesn't care about FPL. He's aware of it. He probably thinks it's hilarious, but it doesn't factor into his decision-making. But what does factor in is obviously the theory around coaching, sports science and all that. And some players may benefit more from playing once every 10 days. Some may benefit from playing once every four days and then having two weeks off or whatever it is. And that's not even counting the opposition, you know, other injuries, form, if you like, someone looking good in training, whatever it is. So looking at someone like Foden, you know, Pep might not be doing it to just harm us or even just to try and rotate for the sake of it i think klopp has spoken before about planning his lines up lineups months in advance now that doesn't mean he sticks to it but he knows in his head that say for example well jordan henderson's you know the the physios and the sports scientists tell me that he can play 90 minutes of football every three days and he needs this recovery and this training to be able to build up to that if he's carrying an injury it's longer or shorter whatever therefore i need to plan when i can play him but if he plays say once every three days he can, however, only play, say, three times in, I don't know, 10 days or something or 12 days. 
So think of it like, I don't know, taking paracetamol, one every six hours, but only four in a 24 hour period. So they will plan, they will periodize over a period of time, the players they're looking at and how they're going to use them. And of course this will change, but someone like Foden might currently be getting his intense period of playing matches, of training. It might line up with the fixtures and the way that Pep wants to use him. And it might then be doubled down on because they've got injuries too. So if he then suddenly doesn't play for three weeks, that could entirely have been Pep's plan all along and actually what Foden needs as a footballer. Of course, from an FBL point of view, that doesn't particularly help us because we don't know it. But I think we need to be careful about sort of maybe looking at a cup match and going, so-and-so is playing, therefore it means this. Because we just don't have enough information. We can guess, but we don't know for sure. What's become clear tonight is uh, I need to up my analogy game because you, <laughs> you guys are killing it. <laughs> well, speaking of killing it, well, I feel like it's, it's, it's ominous that um, we talk about Man City midfielders and, and what comes to mind is painkillers. Because <laughs> that, that's pretty much just what, that's what we need, really, isn't it, for, for owning these guys. He's like... I bought Foden in this week, but don't worry, I've taken two paracetamol, and in two hours I'm going to take two ibuprofen as well because I'm going to have a headache. Yeah. Back to the how to deal with um, with poor game weeks. Oh, okay, exactly. Painkillers, apparently. Well, let's talk about Man City in general because there's plenty of other options that we consider. Um, at the back, I mean, the double defence is pretty popular at the moment. Um, we talked about De Bruyne. I mean, Jesus, does he even enter the occasion? Um like Cancelo is the one for me. He's the only City player that's played 90 minutes every single game week this this year. Um, super consumer, so much consistency from a City player in general. Uh, is he in both of your sides? I, I, I think so, right? Cancelo, I think so. yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's yep. he's pretty consistent on these these tables in terms of expected goal involvement about sixth or seventh down. So for a defender, pretty good. But the frustrating thing with him is he tends to shoot a lot from far out and it he just he scores maybe one in 20 or something like that not even that and um he can be frustrating to own because like when we talk about trent like is he essential he doesn't get that many attacking returns really so you're just banking on his clean sheets which is obviously quite prevalent for man city but if he's playing 90 minutes every game it could be good value right what do you think about Cancelo? Is he just a set and forget for now, Seb? I think, I mean, that's not unfair what you say. I guess, obviously, assuming that he gets close to most, most of the matches, which we think he does, it's then just a case of, okay, which City defender do I pick? The one with the biggest upside. And I think that is Cancelo because his underlying numbers are very good, even if he doesn't convert those, as you're saying. But if you're picking, say, Laporte, who has much lower chance of getting attacking returns you're probably going to get fewer points over the long term. So I think Cancelo is a natural choice there if you've identified the City defence as something you want. Yeah, I probably agree with that. I mean, it I seems think, like a no-brainer at the moment. Go on, Dave. I'm, try I'm trying to find an article that Neil wrote uh, a couple of weeks ago when it was in an international break, I think it was, when there was a lot of wild cards played. So they did uh, some articles on like best Man City uh, players to get on a wild card and things like that. And uh, I'm struggling to find it now, so I can't remember the stats off the top of my head. So definitely go and verify this. Uh, on your own, if you if you if you're interested in this line, but he basically looked at um, can, I think it was Cancelo and Diaz, uh, their points um, per game over the, the, the basically the period they've both been at the club, and effectively over long term, Cancelo outscored Diaz because um, he's quite feast or famine. You know, he'll either get like 15 points or he'll get two, and he'll probably get benched more often than Diaz. Um, but the upside is better, and it means that even if you if you if you if you're prepared to take those benchings, uh, and you just hold him over Diaz, you will still get more points because he just he'll score more points because <laughs> he he scored 
he just had he just had better points per um I don't think it was points per game, but effectively it just meant that Cancelo will outscore Diaz over a longer period, which feels weird when you think about the fact that Diaz will play more games because normally it's it's the other way around. It's the one who plays more games that gets more points, but Cancelo is just that much more upside that it's just worthwhile doing. And so if you've got Livramento as well, like, yeah. fine. <laughs> I think, I think with defenders, much more than midfielders and attackers, there's a very good argument for finding those players over the long term for the most points and just holding on to them. You know, if you're trying to target Cancelo for, say, Norwich and Burnley or something, there's a good chance he misses one of them. But if you're grabbing him for 15 matches, there's a good chance you're going to get his returns. Yes, I mean, the fact that Cancelo plays, he's playing 90 minutes most, maybe makes the case for owning him even more than Diaz, for, uh, judging by uh, David's argument there. But let's come back to the tables. I mean, Foden has really stretched it in the last um, four game weeks, top of the pile, um, compared to sort of middle of the table over the course of the season. Gundogan there, 3.96 expected goal involvements over the course of the season. Does he enter our thoughts at all? Because he seems to be popping up with some goals here and there. David, what do you think of Gundogan? Yeah, I mean, in a way, I sort of still come back to what I was saying earlier about like I just I find it really difficult to trust this price bracket at Man City right now um I'm really I'm a really I know I've just talked up the possible possibly rotatable defender but when it comes to midfielders it's a little bit different I'm spending a bit more money you know possibly they're going to be in a captaincy conversation because if I'm going to own a Man City attacker for good fixtures for example I'm going to own them because I want to try and captain them potentially and I just don't really get that vibe from a lot of these like I mean Am I going to captain Foden at any point in the next couple of weeks? Like, probably not. Like, it just doesn't have that added kind of incentive for me to to go for a lot of these. Um, admittedly, I'm not as clued up on their lineup as I probably was six months ago, um, which probably, which just for me personally, makes it a lot harder to trust in these situations. You know, when I, when I was covering this, like, absolutely every day, you know, I could tell you when Gundogan was going to score and when he wasn't because he had, I, you know, he had a great, uh, um, relationship, well not great relationship a really uh, interesting relationship with Jesus for example, where if Jesus was playing he wouldn't do as well because he could um, he could occupy Jesus's kind of false nine you know the spots that Jesus would occupy he could occupy them when Jesus wasn't playing all that sort of stuff I was just a lot more cleared up on before, not anymore uh, ashamed to say, which just for my own team makes it harder for me to have as much trust in this system because I just don't know as well as I did before. It's an interesting Um, narrative though. It's a really good point because I mean, Jesus is playing on the right wing. So there isn't really a recognized striker in this, in this structure. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it does bolster Gundogan's um, potential for goals because he occasionally does pop up, pop up close to the goal for a tap in like he did at the weekend. Um, And maybe it's someone that flies under the radar over the course of the season. Uh, What do you think think about him, Seb? I mean, sorry, I jumped the gun there. Um, <laughs> and looking at just the tables alone, I really like the look of him. If you know, if you wanted a second city midfielder, say after your Foden or De Bruyne, it looks good. The thing that maybe turns me off, though, obviously, other than we have five midfielders and you want to be efficient there, is that if you name City's best eleven right now, I don't think he's in it. And I don't think it's just a case of oh, he isn't in the best eleven. I think if you look at how they're setting up with this four-three-three, with if Foden is up front or on the left. Let's say Foden is up front in the best 11, Grealish on the left, Jesus on the right. The midfield seems to be Rodri, Bernardo, Silva and Kevin De Bruyne. And then with Cancelo at left back, the spot that Gundogan maybe could have is Bernardo Silva's. But Bernardo Silva, who does okay on these tables himself, is looking very, very good. And then outside of FPL, I think Pep said this himself, what he brings is that left-footedness on the left and the ability to go a bit wider, whereas Grealish is coming inside, Cancelo is coming inside. And we've looked before at the relationship between Cancelo and his winger and the midfielder ahead of him. And he does try and play a bit of a playmaking role. 
last season when we had Gundogan and we had Cancelo and we were looking at when they were playing, both of them did better when the other one was on the other side because they could be the playmaker and dominate that part of the pitch. I think now Grealish is filling that role. Cancelo is filling that role. So even if Gundogan does start, I don't know I'd be sure of what his role is. And then because I'm not sure of his start, because I think Bernardo is first choice in that position, De Bruyne clearly on the other side, even though his numbers are good, I don't know how much opportunity I'm going to get to see those numbers, at least compared to, say, a Foden, a De Bruyne, a Jota, uh, a Mason Mount, a Havertz. All of them just seem like a, a better pick to me at this time. Yeah, it's a really good point because Bernardo Silva typically occupied that right wing role, but Jesus has been flying and um, Mara is his second fiddle there. So maybe Bernardo Silva is just going to be utilised elsewhere in that centre midfield role. And as you say, he has been flying second for uh, expected goal involvements in the last four and um, fifth in, over the course of the season. So definitely, uh, definitely uh, playing, playing well. And um, one, one player we haven't mentioned so far is, is Grealish, and he was quite a popular pick at the start of the season. He's played 90 minutes in most matches and he got a couple of assists at the weekend, but hasn't really done much else. So is he someone that enters your thoughts, David, at all? Or is he someone just to wait and see whether that form starts to uh, accumulate over the next few weeks before even considering him? Yeah, I mean, I'm. I, you've almost like described how I'm player FPL. <laughs> Um, I, I always I, I, I always wait for it to accumulate over just a longer period. I'm a big fan of four ish game week some people go six uh i think that's sometimes a, it can be a bit too long to um account for uh you know various different factors i just think four is is a really nice tight kind of proper way of looking at it and so i'd rather see it over uh, an extended period than than jump on it straight away um that makes me really boring um when when joe uh when i used to do these with joe it was really easy because we kind of team up and be like hey man i'm boring too and we could be boring together <laughs> um so i mean if you guys want to if you guys want to tell me off for having that strategy then that's that's fine it'll just make me miss joe <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm definitely i don't think i ever played boring it's uh I mean, I think I was considering Triori at the start of the season, so that says it all. And I love that analogy. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to bring out an analogy. Here we go. Ring Here the we go. Off. Drum roll. <laughs> I think what you were saying about the uh, accumulation of form over maybe four game weeks is is a really like detailed way, a really uh, like sensible way of playing FPL because a lot of us tend to, like potentially Havertz this game week, is to be the first player to get on, sorry, the first manager to get on a player when they might not necessarily take off in form. It's like getting on a bus without a driver. You're going to get the first seat on that bus, but you don't know whether it's actually going to going to run or go off. Whereas you could get a bus Nailed that's it. pretty filled yeah. up and uh, a lot of people get, getting to their destination. But He's done it. Yes. Yay! <laughs> he is on the analogy bus. I, I think I raced through that. I could have definitely done it. That a was, little that bit was more brilliant. Your, your expected analogy that, uh, score there was, was, was pretty good. <laughs> was About 0.78. And you and you you didn't even you didn't even under or overperform. You just delivered, man. That was Loved great. It. Loved Your XA is fantastic. Something that that comes to mind from what you were saying there as well as I think there's a temptation, especially you know, to bring it back to if you're saying the community on Twitter, whatever it is, there's such a temptation to be right to have called a player to be able to go. Look, I said this thing. That never ever ever helps your FPL team. Doesn't matter if you called a player or not. You don't get more points. Someone like say just because you mentioned Havertz, not saying it's Havertz or not. The temptation to have got there first only matters if he's going to score loads of points and you get points other people don't get. It's not about bragging. And I think we can fall into a lot of those, a lot of those traps. A bit like, you know, you're saying four game weeks. We also fall into traps where we follow rules too closely. Like, oh, I will only ever pick a player after they've shown four game weeks of good form. 
well, how much, to what point, you know, how much form is, is enough form? What if someone scores 17 goals in that first match? Do you still need three more matches? Or, you know, or the opposite. If you've seen four matches and they're, they haven't done what you wanted, do you now need another four matches? And I think, I think that's a really good strategy in general. But the way, the way we become good FPL managers is knowing when to break our own rules. And my personal, I say favourite, but the opposite of favourite, is at the end of the season, when everyone gets their learnings from the season, and you get half the community saying, I need to be more aggressive, more hits, more differential captains. And the other half of the community say, I should be safer. Fewer hits, lesser differential co- captains, you know, just play templates. Well, even if those are relative concepts, both those things can't be true. It's because all they're doing is going against whatever didn't go for them personally that season. And we just don't have enough data to say whether one of those is the right strategy. And the real answer is, it depends on the game week, you know, whether you need to be aggressive or not. And we often only know after the fact. Love that. Right, let's move on and talk about fixtures. We've got the fixture ticker up here. I mean, Norwich are top of it, which is so dull, because who's going to bring in a Norwich player? Which is going to set one of you up perfectly, well, uh, I'm sure, for um, differential Cookie, picks. Cookie has more points than Ronaldo right now. Is that, is that true? I keep seeing that, and I, 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 I haven't I actually verified it, it myself. It. He has played three more weeks, I'm guessing, than Ronaldo. To be yeah, no, no, I, I think it's marginal, but hey. We'll take it. <laughs> Sorry, I've interrupted you. No, no, I absolutely fine. stops for no one, so... I mean, you get, is that your differential pick, David? You're going to pick Pookie? Well, yeah, well, I might have to. I've, I've jumped the gun. <laughs> well, let's go let's talk about the fixture table itself because we've got Norwich at the top, but Brentford more specifically. We've talked about them throughout the course of the pod. Burnley, Norwich and Newcastle in the, in the next three, which can't get much better, really. Wolves and Chelsea and then Leeds bringing up the rear and Southampton definitely one to consider as well. So... Any differential picks from either of those teams? Uh, hopefully you don't steal mine. But Seb, why don't you lead us off, mate? So my differential pick is Mbumo, um, who I How own. boring. Oh, okay, fine. Um, well, I guess I will, I will carry the boring mantle. One of you needs to be exciting then. David, uh, going to break trend and go Puki, I hope. But um, I don't think I even need to pull up too many numbers for him. He's, as we mentioned earlier, you know, he's on those underperformers. But what that also shows is that he's had about three XGI in the last six, I think it is. He's got the fixtures, he's playing out of position, he's cheap, he fits nicely into our team structures. Of course it could go wrong, but I think you have a pretty decent chance of getting some very solid points from there. And he's owned by, last I checked, 1.9%. What? No. Yeah. That, it feels was, a lot more on Twitter, wow. doesn't it? But I was yeah. just checking that, to be honest. I was going to look it up and I thought, surely he's more owned than... <laughs> 5%. This is the bit where you tell me I've looked at Canos or something instead. No, oh, I, I haven't even got there yet. I'm, I'm still think, in shock. I think Four, Tony... 4.3%. 4.3. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, still just though, about that's, made it. Just that's about insane. made it. I think Tony's about 20% odd as well. So if you had to pick between one of those two, I'd argue for Mbumo because he has the higher XG, which is more points in FPL, and he's a midfielder, so he gets more points for goals. And if you really want to, you know, go for effective ownership, you're going to do better if he does well. I think get both though, to be honest. Absolutely insane that he's only under, he's under five. Yeah, that's crazy. Own. I was expecting a veritable Arctic Monkeys Brian Storm in terms of uh, how much he was owned, but never mind. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> well, it will be soon. It will be soon. Everyone will be on him, but they've got there first. He was on that bus and it had a driver. There we <laughs> go. <laughs> two, two. I'm, I'm surprised, you know, because all it takes is a few goals for a player to escalate, especially a cheap one, because Mason Mount was only 3 or 4% owned at the start of this game week, and now he's 13% owned. It's it's amazing how that ownership can rock it up. But uh, what about you, David? Who do you fancy of those top five teams and um, a specific player from one of them? 
Well, yeah, I'm going to have to go Pookie, really. I mean, I don't really fancy him at all, uh, but it's just the fact that if you like playing the fixtures, I mean, like, why not? Like, give it a go. Um, you know, Leeds and um, Southampton, especially defensively, haven't been great. Um, Brentford have been a little bit better, but they haven't, I wouldn't say they're exceptionally watertight, so you might get something. Um, Worth noting be... they've just lost uh, Raya as well for a number of months. Oh, of course, yes. Well, there we are. So, Team Timmy Pookie, even better now. Um, clearly, I, I, I yeah called it, but um, I just I think at some point this Norwich team has to do something at some point, right? And if it's going to happen at any point, it's going to happen in the next few weeks. He's only scored twice, but so have Norwich. So if they're going to get anything, it'll be for him. I mean, it's not human. It's not like tremendously convincing because I'm not going to sign him. But um, I don't know. Just keep an eye out for him, I guess. Just if nothing else, for old time's sake, please. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a decent pick. I mean, Norwich haven't exactly been set in the world light, have they? But um, with this run of fixtures, I mean, they they could get a few. He could get some joy, you never know. But, um, I mean, my, my pick, I was going to pick a Brentford defender in uh, Pontus Janssen, but he's actually 9.8% owned. I mean, he's, oh, wow. had, he's had three uh, three big chances in the last six game weeks, which is the most out of any defender. And, um, I mean, the mo- when you pick a defender... You've got to think about the clean sheets first, right? The attacking terms come afterwards. So Burnley, Norwich, Newcastle get can't get much better for clean clean sheet potential. I mean, you brought in Pinnock, David, so um, yeah, yeah. clearly you're you're on that uh, bandwagon yeah. as well. But I think Janssen's a decent pick at four point seven million, but I can't go him because he's nine point eight percent owned. So I'm going to have to go Broha at Southampton, um, who is yellow flagged at the moment, seventy five percent. But clearly he's good enough to keep um, Adam Armstrong out of the team. And he's got back-to-back goals in the last two games. So 1.7% owned or something. And uh, a few in the community have uh, already brought him in. Watford, Aston Villa, Norwich in the next three may be worth a punt. I think it's probably the most out there of the three of the three picks, but who knows? I like it. I like it. Yeah. I just want to add as well, by the way, Mbumo is flagged at the moment as well. So if anyone you know is listening to this later in the week, hopefully you know whether he's available or not before you go and follow that pick. Absolutely. So plenty of us have um, doubled or trebled up on Chelsea for the next couple of decent fixtures. Um, we've got Jimenez, haven't we, said for Wolves. So it seems to be seems to be looking up. That Tottenham there, Man United, Everton, we spoke about them earlier. Then a really good run of games from game week 12. Uh, does anyone else um, take your fancy from this, the top of the fixture chart? Because... Um, I, I can't really gain that much. They gain that much inspiration. It seems like the players that we've already got on our squads might be good enough. What do you think, Seb? A couple of teams from lower down that I'd want to maybe call out as potentially could end up being higher once those matches have been played. West Ham, I mean, a lot of people have Antonio and we know he's, I'm not going to say fixture proof by any means because by definition, he's down here low and he's likely to return less points. But I think if any of those players are going to score against, say, a Liverpool or a City, it could well be him. But in between those two matches are Villa and Wolves, which I think are absolutely fine for him. There's every chance he could convert in those matches. And then Aston Villa, who have West Ham, Southampton, Brighton, Crystal Palace, Man City then at the end of that. I think, again, there's maybe a couple of matches that are pushing them further down. But Ollie Watkins over Danny Ings. We saw him earlier on the underperformers table. If I were to pick one of their strikers, I think I would pick Ollie Watkins. I think he has a greater chance for a variety of returns as opposed to Ings, who is only going to score goals and I think actually possibly looks less threatening or at least less involved than Watkins so far. Um, but like we said, they are lower down on the list. But if you were looking at those teams, I think they may be good returns slightly better 
and this table suggests. It's an interesting one, Watkins, actually, because when uh, I produce my shot map every week, I limit it to the top 18 players for shots. And Watkins was in that top 18 player. I think he's had 16 shots in the last uh, six game weeks. Danny Ings was not in there. So clearly Watkins is having more effort than Ings. So it's a decent shout. The other player... I think, I was... I think Watkins outscores Ings over the season. I think, you know, injuries aside, I think Watkins will return more points than Danny Ings over, over the course of 38 weeks. It's an interesting shout because I definitely not would not have said that at the start of the season. And um, because Danny Ings is, is really good for conversion. Like he's a really talented player. But... He's just, he's been a bit hit and miss this season. He was really good at the start and then he had a tough run of fixtures and they sort of haven't, hasn't really bounced back from that quite yet. The other player I want to consider or mention is, is Callum Wilson. After Chelsea, Newcastle have a, you know, a good run of fixtures really. And um, Callum Wilson's been up in the stats per appearance, a decent overhead kick at the weekend. Um, new owners. <laughs> Who oh, knows? I'm convinced I'm, that I'm he's worth you. having in the team over, say, <laughs> Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe. You know, how many goals have any of them scored for Newcastle? None, exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, and Callum but, Wilson always scores against West Ham. So you know, <laughs> has Mbappe ever scored against West Ham? I don't think so. Exactly. Uh, in all seriousness, I do like Callum Wilson. I started the season with him. The problem is he's not always fit. But when he is, he's right up there in terms of the expected numbers, and he pretty much always underperforms them. But well, that's fine, because they're high enough for him to return a decent amount. I started with the season with him. I think he got three and four. Then he got injured. He's come back and scored. If you are looking for a seven and a half-ish million striker and don't like any of the others, he will score goals if he's fit. Is it too late, I, to, I change my, um, too late to change my differential pick? He's 1.6% owned. Oh, nice. Ooh. Absolutely nothing. Crikey. Right, let's have enough. That's enough of fixtures. Let's move on and talk about how we're lined up for game week ten. Um, start with you, Seb. Sanchez in goal uh, away to Liverpool. That's a tough fixture, but I mean, a sea of blue elsewhere in your team. Yeah, um, so I've I've made the move already, which I think is on screen there. Lukaku to Tony, which may look a bit silly if I end up with more injuries than I currently have, but I have Livermento, who at this point is basically a starter for me. And I do have the wild card, which gives me confidence to make moves early for price changes, because if it all goes wrong, I can bail myself out. But otherwise, yeah, very happy with how the team is set up. Um, and the reason I haven't wild carded is if I were to wild card, I wouldn't change that much. I might mix the strikers around a bit. Um, I might get Kane early. I'm not sure what else I'd do. I'd probably get a slightly better bench. What's your contingency plan if uh, Mbomo and Rafinha are both out for the weekend? So if they're both out, then I probably don't want to start Brownhill. So I either take a hit or I may be wildcard. I think I feel like I've been saying that for about five, six weeks now, though. Because <laughs> every week, you know, there's a problem I could solve with a wildcard, but I don't feel like I'm that far away from the team I'd wildcard to. Um, I'd probably just move towards my game week 14 team a bit early or try and plan it. But we know how planning goes wrong. So realistically, I may just hold on. And I think I'm banking on the fact that we've not heard from Bielsa yet. But Rafinha himself said the injury wasn't too bad, although we've heard players say that in the past and then be wrong. Mbumo, I think they said he wasn't available uh, this midweek for the cup. But they were hoping he was available for the weekend. So I'm basically gambling that I only need to replace one of them and therefore that's just Livermento off the bench. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, ideally you'd want them both playing because they've got some really decent fixtures. I yeah. really love that you've doubled up with uh, with Brentford. Uh, I kind of want to do it, but I can't, I can't find a way. So I'm going to have to make do with Tony. But uh, I'm kind of jealous of your team. It looks really good. Foden as well. Decent. Um, Sap- uh, Captain Salah? <laughs> Do we really need to ask the question? Uh, no, it- I mean, we, we discussed it earlier, didn't we? And I think 
asking the perma captain seller question i think is maybe the wrong question because we should ask ourselves every week who is the best captain this week i think it's seller it's probably seller most weeks but another week will come where there's another option to go for and that's entirely reasonable exactly well best of luck for game week 10 um we'll move on to david's team and um who's definitely going to bounce back after a poor game week but he's <laughs> not going to surely not going to do it with Vardy captain are you mate Oh no, yeah, I haven't I haven't made any changes to this at all. Um so yeah, it will it will almost certainly be Salah, as we discussed earlier. Um and the thing is uh, I'm very much up in the air about what I do because it will of course depend on those flags. I'm kinda hoping that they all disappear. Uh if they do, then I'll hopefully I think do nothing, to be honest. I love rolling a transfer, so if I can do that I will. Um even though I've still got Dina down there on the bench, I just I like having the ability to get to two free transfers if I feel like my starting eleven is strong enough. And if all those players are fit, I think it is, uh, for at least one more week. Um, if all those players are injured, then I could be tempted into the wild card. So it really could it could be anything. Uh, anything could happen. You know, I mean, if all those players are out on a wild card, then I would, m- might get Kane early because I've kind of mentioned earlier in the show that, yeah, and of course Seb's obviously mentioned it as well. There's a possibility as well um, to get ahead on their fixtures. But it's just all kind of up in the air, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be more definitive, especially on my first episode in I don't even know how long it's coming. But <laughs> I'm doing this this week because I know what I'm talking about. But at the moment, I have no clue what I'm doing. And we'll rely on the press conferences, really. I, um, I can't believe we haven't really mentioned it yet, but Luca Dean is in your team, right? Uh, <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah. What are you doing with him? Good question. Uh, I saw Andy's tweet uh, where he found that he was like a skeleton on a bench somewhere. <laughs> and he was like, I found that Dino. And I was like, doesn't look like me. Um, maybe there's two of us. Um, but the thing is, I own Dina and Shaw uh, from the start of the season. So when the time came to get rid of... What, uh, I, I didn't want to get rid of both. I couldn't because I didn't want to take a hit. It was like, well, one of you's got to go. I've got to be honest, I'm looking at you, Luke. Um, well, actually, they're both called that, aren't they? Um, but um, yeah, I, I got rid of Shaw. So um, that's why he's still there. And I, I'm the kind of person that um, I will have probably more faith than I should do. And to be honest, I mean... He hadn't done great, but um, a home against Watford and a Watford team that had kind of been underperforming a little bit in front of goal, I don't think it was like the weirdest idea to hold him and start him for that game. Yeah. Um, but also the what, other thing about Watford Dinu, beating Everton 5-2 was more of an outlier than oh, yeah. beating Man United 5-0. Like, yeah. that was the less expected result. Yeah, oh, I, think, I think you're right, yeah. But I think also the thing with Dinia is that because it's Dinia, you kind of, every time he gets a minus one, you're like, oh, well, it'll be 17 points next week, surely. And the thing is, I just still every week like oh next week next week next week and yeah just from having other issues to solve uh it just hasn't really happened and yeah i'm sure he'll bang now when i sell him you know that's that's say la vie or say la fplb anyway sounds like dean your supermodel to me you need a (laughs) yeah girl next door (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't know who that would be in defense to be honest there's not there's not there's there's not many anymore around anymore they they ain't loyal so to speak so goodness me yeah (laughs) oh god yeah luca dean Poor chat, but Everton defence doesn't look particularly solid at the moment, so yeah. Oh, no. But yeah, I think your your decision-making has been spot on. It's just the fact that the outcome has been, you know, against you. So continue making those decisions and then you'll bounce back next, next game week, mate. <laughs> uh, right, let's end it with, with, with my team. I've made one transfer already, uh, an early one, because I had exact funds to move Semedo to Reese James. And uh, that's with some welcome news, as Piliqueta seems to be. I mean, not welcome, obviously, from his personal view, but uh, from my perspective in my FPL team, as Piliqueta has a shoulder injury, which probably makes Reese James more of a, a long-term uh, pick if he wasn't already. Um, oh, 
David, what are you doing? Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what you were saying, but it definitely came off on screen. <laughs> it did. That's amazing. <laughs> now I look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Reese James, uh, very happy to have that. I would have gone chill well if I had the option. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Reese James has a, a really good attacking threat, and I think um, I'm definitely going to be happy to own him. I think I am jealous of Chilwell owners uh, who are able to afford that 0.3 extra. But um, Mason Mount will be an interesting one, how long I keep him for, uh, because I think he's done more than enough uh, for my team already. I think um, I'll try and move him on for Foden at some point, but with Newcastle and Burnley up next, I, I can't really uh, move him on. But um, yeah, De Bruyne hopefully plays. I mean, crikey, I can't have a premium player in my team that, that doesn't play every week, so... Fingers crossed he comes back when it was only a blip. Um, a ra random casual benching from Pep. But but who knows? Maybe maybe De Bruyne is at risk with this season. We talked about Gundogan and Bernardo Silva occupying those spaces. Maybe maybe Pep's going to do one on De Bruyne. Who knows? But I feel like I'm fairly comfortable with that team. Uh, Tony, the Brentford uh, representative. Um, it's a pity I can't double up on Embuemo. But if Rafinha's out, for some unknown reason, then I probably will make the minus four to Mbomo. Um I, I would like it. I would like that team. I think it pretty much yeah, does what you want. You know, if you were wildcarding this week, of course, you'd make a few changes. But it's not far off what someone might wildcard too. Fingers crossed. I mean, I've got Mark on Breakfast Club who's wildcarding um, oh, this nice. week. So it'd be interesting to see. It's always nice if someone wildcards into a very similar team than you currently have. Because that's... Oh, yeah. what... Does anyone else There's do that thing where... Yeah, absolutely. Does anyone else do that thing where, especially when you've obviously got the wildcard still, every week you're going to your transfers tab and you'll make, you know, 20 odd points, uh, hits, uh, points worth of hits just to see what your ideal team might be. And if you've got the wildcard, you could hit it. And often recently, and I don't mean this as a team brag, I'm just explaining why, if anything, I'll probably waste my wildcard because I'll miss the good opportunity to use it. But every week I'm like, you know what, that's not that many changes and half of them are on my bench. So I might as well just take a hit or I might as well just, you know, stay a little bit further away from my ideal team. I'm yeah. just so jealous you got De Bruyne. I'm really, really jealous of having him. I just, I can't justify it with my own team structure right now. I just can't do it. And so, yeah, I, I, th I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna get a lot of points out of him. That will, it will get to the point where people will start wildcarding into that team, possibly in four or five game weeks' time, when, yeah, their fixtures get even nicer and, and he's proved himself over uh, uh, yeah. this period. So, yeah, I, 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 I tried well. to bring him in for Fernandez and messed it up. So, I'm with you, Indian. Is it? 12 something like that where they have some very nice fixtures again yeah I think it's a very nice option especially if you want to maybe then move him to fernandez a few weeks later he's so captainable as well so that he, he will get to a point where he will be so effective for you because you can captain him and people don't even own him yet that's when it's really effective so i'm really jealous it's a really good shout fernandez from uh in six game weeks time when many have some good fixtures but he could also be a make weight for son from game week 12 but i think Who we've not mentioned tonight Yes, which is interesting because from game week 12, he could be a really decent option. But um, I mean, not many premium players doing the bits at the moment. And um, De Bruyne might be the one that gets uh, a few assists now and then. But I mean, Lukaku, Cristiano Ronaldo, not really doing that much. Uh, Son could be the one and then you upgrade the rest of your team. But how do you think about maintaining that flexibility in your side? Because as soon as a premium starts starts firing again, you need to have that ability to move to any player within one or two moves, right? Uh, I think, I mean, maybe it come back to something we've discussed a few times, which is the old, you know, cheap players almost feel uncomfortable. I've, I've got five million in my bank. I'm sure other people have a similar amount if they've also got rid of Lukaku. 
you feel like you have to spend it, which sometimes makes your team in the immediacy weaker. It's very, very tempting to look at an expensive player and be like, they're expensive, therefore they're good. When actually, for example, I think Tony is a better shout for a couple of weeks than Kane. But Kane's not far off twice the price. It's weird how we maybe look at that and go, Kane is therefore the better option. Yeah, definitely some price bias there. Definitely, because um, I mean, it's the same with any sort of premium team as well, whether it's a top four team. We tend to bring those players in more than maybe uh, some really good options in some lower uh, lower sides. But yeah, um, a long term um, plan for this team is actually to try and move Antonio out um, and move to a three five two. I think quite a lot of people might move to a a big five in midfield. And I think that might be the next template where we're heading. Are you not um, tempted by bigger at the back? No, I, the, the problem, I, I regularly, I do a video every Monday with Rob and he's a massive advocate for big at the back. And I just, I don't like it because it's not as flexible for me in terms of moving to that midfield. You know, if there's a particular midfielder that hits form, if there's a particular forward that hits form and you have the staples like Antonio or Jimenez or whoever in your front line, you need that third spot or you need that fifth midfielder spot to get that form player to jump on that bandwagon. And I think big at the back just is, is a high floor, but not a high ceiling um, strategy. And yeah, it's, it's very just... restrictive. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I'm trying to try and move Antonio for Foden maybe at some point, um, but maybe I don't need to rush. As you said, Seb, game week 14, you said City have some decent fixtures. So maybe I don't need to rush. I was just looking at ownership and um, KDB is still, by definition, a differential option. He's 4% owned. Crazy. That's ridiculous. Crazy. Well, I mean, he needs to play first. <laughs> a good point. Well made. <laughs> so fingers crossed anyway. Well, I think we've uh, we've been talking for an hour and 35 minutes, so we'll call it there. Um, thank you both for joining me. And uh, before we go, uh, definitely a plug for the Scout, um, FF Scout members area, which all of the data has come from uh, in this stream and indeed my own streams as well. David tried to plug it earlier, but we'll definitely get the plug in now. Um, plenty Ted, of... Um, sorry, go on. Oh, no, sorry. I thought you were done. I interrupted you. No, I'm, I'm done. I'm me. done. I'm done. <sighs> Sorry, so I, was I was I was I was, <laughs> I was trying I was trying After to be you. clever. I was trying to be clever. Um, I was just going to say that you know if I happen to be up later tonight, you know, doing a feed or something like that, it's dark in the house. I can't have any media on. Is there maybe like a book I could read or something like that? <laughs> yeah, Good I mean, what, what what a, what a fail I did earlier on. I, I had no idea <laughs> that my quick little just can I please mention it would come up on the screen. So yeah, yeah. Smooth return to the scout card. Yeah. I'm just, I'm on a little bit of a press tour this week, a virtual one where I've just, I'm going on a few podcasts and chatting FPL, like good old days. But one of the reasons that I kind of moved on is I'm, I'm now writing a bit more science fiction. And so I brought out a new book today. Uh, it's called eyes of the Vanguard. And um, the first book that I brought out last year is currently on sale for one pound 77 as an ebook. Um, so it would be remiss of me when I'm, I'm sat here, with so many people watching, not to just point out that that's there. So if you like science fiction, go to my Twitter, DavidMonday815. Have a look at my website link there. And you can get everything there. Um, so, yeah, I will shut up now. And thank you very much for the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I was so distraught with that message coming up on the Zoom. I was like, try to fix it. I didn't even read it. So thank you so much, Evan, for it. So it's my fault. It's my fault. I just completely forgot to double check it. I was just, I, wow. I think so we did smooth. it super smooth. No one noticed. It came up on screen. I interrupted you, Ted. It's great. Your, your sales will go through the roof, David. Definitely oh. no one noticed. Definitely <laughs> no one noticed. You've got to make it memorable. So, you know. <laughs> Plenty of analogies in the book, presumably, David. Oh, uh... yeah. I love a good metaphor. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, th uh, there's less uh, FPL references in there than I'd like, but 
one day I'm going to write like a sports fiction book, probably a little bit more inspired by Phil than this one. Um, this one's a little bit more of escapism, which people sometimes need in a COVID world. So, yeah. Sounds good to me. Send me a copy. Love oh, it. We'll do. We'll do. <laughs> All right, thank you both for joining me once again. We'll leave it there. And uh, best of luck for game week 10. Uh, thanks for everyone joining us in the chat. And, um, and good luck. We'll see you soon. It's a bye from me. That's a bye from me. And a bye from me.